but now they do. Um, this is uh, Kevin Evans. I am teaching Micah chapter 7 for the chapter-by-chapter chapter life class for Assembly of God Crossroads Greenville. Yeah, that'll work. Okay, so uh, we've already discussed the first six chapters of Micah, and uh, Micah is a prophet from the... <clears throat> Wasn't it the southern kingdom? Wasn't that where he's from? And he is prophesying against the coming condemnation of God against mainly the northern kingdom of uh, Israel because they have been worshiping idols. And if they don't repent, then they will be overrun by the bad guys, which in this case is the Assyrians, who are amassing to their north. And so he spent six chapters in a series of... Uh, sermons to be delivered in synagogue, which I think are called kantas, and they're all written in Hebrew meter. They're all written in verse. So it's, it's a very careful, carefully written message. Um, it, it's on the edge of being poetry, and they are often repeated. So since it's all written down, he doesn't necessarily have to be there. They will read this out loud in service when they don't have a visiting minister, and, um, and his message is repeated over and over again. And that actually becomes significant in this particular chapter because he writes stuff that will, that he's planning on that being repeated and repeated throughout uh, the, the captivity. He, he's, it's it's, it's a, uh, both a warning and a promise of redemption. So, chapter 7, we've got three big sections for this. First, there's uh, verse 1 through 7, which is um, where the prophet uh, describes Israel's treachery against God. And then we've got verse 8 through 13, which is uh, how Israel, it, well, it's basically a, a promise of how Israel will uh, eventually be restored. It's uh, speak, spoken from God's perspective in portions. And then uh, Micah offers a prayer, and there's actually a two-verse response from God in the middle of Micah's prayer. So he offers a prayer in, uh, for, 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 of repentance for the people of Israel, and then God responds for two verses, and then we go back to the prayer again, which is kind of an interesting uh, uh, arrangement. It's almost a Q&A kind of thing. Uh, so in, in that ends the book of Micah in, in that third section. So let's read the first section, which is verse 1 through 7. And... Um, it begins, what misery is mine. I am like the one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. The godly have been swept from the land. Not one upright man remains. All men lie in wait to shed blood. Each hunts his brother with a net. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. The best of them is like a briar, and the most upright worse than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman has come, the day God visits you. Now is the time of their confusion. Do not trust a neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with her who lies in your embrace, 
be careful of your words. For a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. Okay, let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, we start off with uh, how miserable Micah is because he is searching for a righteous man and finds none. Does that sound familiar? Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, uh, Abraham was, was praying that if you find, you know, just a few righteous men, can you, can you, you know, spare the city? And God can't find a few righteous men, you know. Uh, there, there have been several cries in Scripture where we're looking for somebody that has a little bit of decency somewhere. But the, the society has sunk to a point of depravity in which no one can be found that is trustworthy or is not corrupt in some way. Uh, and so he compares that to searching for food during a harvest and finding nothing to eat. So... Um, you know, he's going hungry trying to, to, to find sustenance. And uh, God is going hungry trying to find an honest man. And so then he, he lists out all of the different things that these uh, dishonest people are doing. Uh, their hands are skilled in doing evil. Uh, rulers take bribes. They have to have a gift in order for, to do anything. So you have to buy your way into any kind of a legal judgment. Uh, the judges are taking bribes. It, there, there's a conspiracy. They, they, they work together in order to set out their corruption. Does this sound familiar? Um, I, I spend my mornings watching YouTube videos, listening to, to conspiracy theories. My mother-in-law sends them to me. Uh, <laughs> You know, and, and, and I take some of it with a grain of salt, but it's still, it's still sobering, you know. Um, I am, okay, for, for our current situation, I do not believe that there was a conspiracy that brought on a worldwide pandemic with a coronavirus. I don't think anybody's that powerful or that evil. Uh, I do think that everybody is doing everything they can to manipulate the situation to their own best interest. I think there's so much spin going on that there, it's difficult to understand what's actually happening. Um, as I continue to rant. In the 1930s, uh, we had something called yellow journalism. And every newspaper took its own political slant, it picked its own political uh, person that it was trying to support. Uh, it, it wasn't just liberal and conservative, it was different uh, special interests. Uh, when you bought a newspaper, you were gonna get their perspective, you weren't gonna get an honest evaluation of the news. And there was this whole kind of a revolution around, honestly, the, the 40s and 50s, when Newspapers started to take a non-biased, just-the-facts-jack attitude toward uh, journalism. And it was a revolution in journalism. You know, newspapers took off. People actually trusted what they read. 
There were newspapers that, that, that had a reputation of just always being right, and they would have multiple sources on any particular uh, uh, a subject. And, and, and if they didn't have multiple sources, in Washington Post case three, then they didn't run the story. So if one person tells you something, you can't believe that. But if three people do, that's acceptable to run. Oh, that's gone now. So we're back to 1930s yellow journalism. I mean, uh, to get the news, I have to turn to one channel that has a political slant that I don't care for, but they have broader coverage. So I just to see what's going on, I look at what they say, and then I turn back to one that's closer to my own political leanings. But I can't trust them either because it's so slanted and so so biased that it's hard for me to listen to that too. I just want to, I want to make my own decisions, you know, but, but journalism is, it, the media tells us what we're supposed to think. I would rather they just give us the fact and let me figure out what I'm supposed to think. This way we have to filter out all the junk before we make all our decisions and it just makes it that much more comp complex. Uh, wow, that was a nice rant there. Merry Christmas. Um, where was I? So, we have corruption in the Northern Kingdom, which I think we've well established through really all of the minor prophets that we've discussed so far. Uh, they conspire against each other. The best of them are like a briar. So we have a metaphor here. Uh, the most upright, worse than a thornhead. So they're a bunch of thorny people, and they, they're, 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 they're more of a hurt to you than a help. Uh, the day of your watchman has come. What does that mean, Ron? Uh, I'm at verse 4, and what, who's the watchman? We, we, we've seen that one before. Well, yes, that's true. Uh, Micah is the watchman. The prophets are the watchman. Micah refers to, yeah, huh? Yeah, M M Micah has referred to the other prophets as being the watchman of God. They're the people that are stepping forward, keep keeping an eye on what's coming in the future. He's the he's the warning bell, which is which is true. That's exactly what he is. And, Yes, and that's what a watchman is. Uh, in this period, time period, you would have a tower usually on the edge of your border, wherever that is, and in a castle, those are much taller and bigger, but, but they didn't have to be a castle. It could be a fence or even a nothing with two towers in between, and you put a watchman on the top, and he's your lookout. He's looking for the bad guys. Yeah, so uh, if he sees the bad guys coming... Uh, his job is to alert everyone so that they can prepare for it. Well, that's what the, the prophets are doing. They are warning the people that, well, God is coming. And, and they need to get their act straight um, before really bad things happen. Yeah. For a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies are the in members of his own household. We can't trust our kin? Yeah. 
I'm looking around the room trying to decide if anybody trusts their own kid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But would your family betray you? I don't know. I'm you. I've got a pretty tight family, and and I you know I stick by the people that I really even the ones I disagree with. You know, because uh, they're kin. You know, I've got to go in there and fix it. Kinda. I gotta try. You know. Um, we, it's reached a point to where no one can trust even their own families. And uh, I don't know, what, what comes to mind when I read that was um, a book on North Korea that I, I, I read called the, um, what was that called? That was the, 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 the Orphan Master's Son, I think that's what that was. But basically it was a, a kind of a picture of what North Korean society is right now. And it's real common to, for the state to take kids in school and get them to rat out their parents who would say anything that might be conceived as against the state. And, 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 and the state will follow through on that and come and rest mom and dad. Now, as a high school teacher, I find it rather sobering to think that a high school student might be trusted over mom and dad's, you know, mom and dad's say. You know, because uh, high school students are sociopaths. You know, I'm not going to trust. They are. They're they're technically, they are. Anyway, uh, yeah, why, why, I I don't, I don't think teenagers should be allowed testimony in court, quite frankly. I think 21, 21 would be a nice age to vote, yeah. Pastor, maybe you shouldn't put this on the air. I, I, don't, I don't know if this is a really good message to share with the rest of the world. It's kind of a private conversation. Okay. Um, if I just offended anybody, just forget I said that. I didn't say that. Okay. Um, so, but as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. So that is the end of this segment, and Micah is basically establishing himself as the watchman. You know, he just referred to the watchman, now he says, I watch, you know, so he's the one that's guarding. Now, we go into this second section uh, where the, the focus shifts, and it's not necessarily Micah speaking, but it's God speaking, and, and he starts to... Um, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Uh, Israel itself, it, it, it's spoken from the purpose that the country is speaking to other countries. And so it, it kind of takes a poetic position. I got that confused with the next section. So, okay, let's just read the section. It goes from verse 8 to 13. Do not gloat over me, my enemy, though I have fallen. I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and establishes my right. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, 
Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her downfall. Even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. The day for building your walls will come. The day for extending your boundaries. On that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to the Euphrates and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountains. The earth will become a desolate because of its inhabitants as the result of their deeds. So he just warns Israel against their repentance and all you know and describes all of this corruption and now he's talking about how Israel is going to overcome all of that it's it's it's, it's this is kind of a message of hope it shifted gears there big time didn't it um what do you think he's getting at Oh, come on, you guys aren't playing with me. Someone take this microphone. It seems to be a shift from relying upon oneself and more towards relying upon God. That's true. I'm looking at my notes trying to catch up with what I just dug out of all this. Um, yes, so... It's Israel speaking, and which kind of is a political, not political, it's sort of a, a poetic uh, approach. And he's basically saying, uh, though I have fallen, I'm going to rise. So uh, Israel is down, and Israel is going to be punished, but it's not going to last forever. It's, 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 it's written as a message of hope. And also, you have to remember, this is just written as a kanta, if I'm using that word correctly, and it's going to be reread and reread. Uh, Micah is ending this series of messages, and he knows that the people are about to go into captivity. And so he is writing this message for the church so that it can be read again as a message of hope to the people in captivity. So, so the captive generation in, in Babylon Here's this message. They know that there is hope for them after this is over with, after they have embraced their own punishment and they're square with God again. And then, then they're, going to, it's going to, they're going to be able to rise up. So that's why this is here. It's to give them a sense of, uh, you know, to, to, to not cast them into total despair. I don't think God wants us to be in total despair. He wants us to be obedient. Um, in, okay, so in verse 9, the believing remnant repent and wait for their just punishment to be completed. Uh, and they're talk, the, the, the phrasing sounds very similar to Job 44 through 5. Uh, could, you, could you read that, uh, Lester? No, he said. Cowards. Okay, just a minute. Yeah, Job 40, 4 through 5. Four Behold, five. I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. And then verse 9, which is kind of its, its, its uh, 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 pair, 
is because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and establishes my right. He will bring me out into the light and I will see his righteousness. So he's kind of repeating the same themes that have already been spoken. And he's, he's prophesying about the same period. So they are going to be restored and the kingdom will be put back into place after uh, their captivity in Babylon. And the walls of Jerusalem will be built up, which they would see as kind of a miracle. And, and, and he basically prophesies all of that. I thought one thing was interesting. I I'm, I'm no, don't know if I'm there yet. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm looking in my notes for stuff. Okay. Um, in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, Peter basically says that the prophets of old didn't entirely understand their own prophecy, which I've always thought would be the case. You know, if you have an ancient man who's, who's lived his whole life around sheep and camels, and has never seen anything but sheep and camels, has no concept of air conditioning, uh, and you give him a vision of the end of the world, would he even recognize a modern city? You know, would you, would you, would you recognize what a car is? Uh, it, it's, it's actually, I think that's a pretty big leap, and, and there's a whole lot of... Uh, information because God is just showing them this vision but there's no fill-in and they're understanding the meaning of the vision they're just seeing the end and so they understand that God is restoring but all of the rest of that picture may be hard to interpret and um, there have been all kinds of commentators that have kind of uh, tapped into that and uh, you know Hal Lindsey in in doing interpreting Revelation uh, refers to the grasshoppers that are referred to, or the, or the creatures that are referred to in Revelation, as being Apache helicopters. And so he took pictures of, uh, well, he took a picture of a grasshopper, and he took the picture of an Apache helicopter. And, you know, they look alike, and they, they have a big thumping sound. And, and, and if you really listen, look at the description in, this, in, in, the, in the verse, it, it, it's pretty close. You know, I, I, he makes a convincing case. Now, I don't know if that's true. Yeah, but I, I think that's a fair interpretation, you know, because you have this ancient man seeing this incomprehensible future uh, and not really understanding all the nuances of what he's seeing. Now, in addition to that, as has been the case in Micah and the previous ones, uh, these prophets have been shown the future of Israel. Now, this is way back in, in you know, the days of the kings, not only has Christ comes, you know, and, and, and pays the sacrifice, but then we have the whole age of the church, and then Christ comes again. There's a lot of, there's a lot of prophecy in there to tweeze apart. And so they'll give a prophecy, and it's about what's about to happen to the people, like, like next week when the Assyrians come in and kill everyone. Then there's also this prophecy of Christ coming, and then there's the prophecy of Christ coming again, all in the same paragraph because they've got to take all of that in. I would, it would be rough being a prophet. Because, 
Uh, sure, and, and I, think, I think they did. I think they were doing their very best job at conveying what God showed them, and they knew that God's showing them this, and he, you know, he, he, they have this impression to, 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 to share it with everybody, but, but really understanding all the nuances, differences and all, I, I, there's no way. And even if they did, how would you explain it? You know? Okay, let me explain a helicopter to you. I'm sure that's going to go over real well in synagogue. Yeah, yeah, in, in the northern kingdom. Let, let me explain what a tank looks like and how this works and why. You know, uh, yeah, they're not going to get that. So you have to, you know, he has to put it in terms that they're going to respond to. But it's going to get a little confusing. And, and that's why you have all these different time periods. And so Peter was actually referring to that. But now that Christ has come, all of those verses that didn't make any sense in synagogue that all of these rabbis have been arguing about suddenly fall into place because we understand that they were referring to Christ. And now we've got this little remnant of, of prophecy where we're talking about Christ's second coming when he comes as a king. First he comes as a sacrifice and a rabbi and then he comes as a king. Uh, So there. I usually have a very talkative class. The microphone is having a chilling factor. Okay, the last segment is prayer and praise. And Micah offers a prayer for the people to God. And then God, in verse 15 answers and then and then it goes back to Micah's prayer which I thought was an interesting structure so let's read through that and see what we can dig out of it uh, shepherd your people with your staff the flock of your inheritance which lives by itself in a forest in fertile pasture lands let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days long ago as in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. That was God speaking in verse 15. Then, I believe this goes back to Micah. Nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. They will lay their hands on their mouths and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake. Like creatures that crawl on the ground, they will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. Who is a God like you? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread your, our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be true to Jacob and show mercy to Abraham as you pledged an oath to our fathers in days long ago. So that prayer ends not only this chapter, but it ends his message to the people. It's kind of written as a, I, I think he knew this was his last message. This, the, you know, and so he, he, he wrote it that way. Um, <clears throat> we 
When the Lord responds, as in the days when you come out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. I think the implications of that are kind of interesting. Uh, what were the wonders that they saw in Egypt? Or in Egypt. I mean, we, we had the, the plagues and uh, all these miraculous instances that were, you know, they were so extreme and so one after the other that there's no way that you can say, well, this is just a really unfortunate natural occurrence, you know? Uh, I think in Texas, when you have three years of drought, you can't really say God is punishing us. Because this here's Texas, and three years of drought are kind of the norm every 10 years or so, you know? Uh, it, we, we get excited when we have a wet spring, you know, which, like this one. And so we can count on about three years of misery after this, I think, you know? Uh, but, when, but when you have an enormous, you know, plague of locusts followed by frogs, followed by mites or whatever they were, and followed by, you know, ultimately the firstborn of every family in town dying, okay, that's, that's, that's impossible. That's, that's not a natural occurrence. Something weird is happening there. And I think that even people that are not believers are going to accept the fact that there is a God punishing them when they see those kinds of things. And then the people leave Egypt and there's a column of fire. There's a column of smoke that they're following. How do you grumble against God when you can look out the door and see him right over there? I find that to be bizarre, you know, and uh, the, the, the sea parted for them as they walked across and destroyed the people behind. They were completely into the support of God. They, they are miraculously supported. They're being fed by heavenly food that they complain about. It is so hard to get this. Uh, People are people, I guess. Um, what was that? That's true. Um, so here in this verse it says, As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show you my wonders. So he's making this promise to Israel, saying in the future... When all this redemption happens, I'm going to show you the kind of things that happened in Egypt. It's going to be miracles again. They're going to see miraculous things. Did that happen? Yeah, it kind of did. And so he's talking about the coming of Christ. And so when Christ comes, he, he redeems not only Israel, but you know, spiritual Israel, all men. And, 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 and all these miracles started happening again so that even people that weren't Jewish, who, you know, hard Roman soldiers who had spent their lives training and torturing people, uh, you know, they see this and go, you know, something, something, something's funny going on here. You know, 
Uh, I've been hanging out at Apollo's temple, and I know that thing with the door is big fake, but d d something's going on here. You know, it, it's, it's kind of hard to look away when there's obvious miracles happening. And, and, that was, and that's what this is talking about. It's foretelling uh, all of the miracles that were coming during the time of Christ. And I think, I think there are still miracles happening today. Um, so, we get down to the end of this prayer. You will again have compassion on us and you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. So he's, he's, he's casting away, he's forgiving Israel, basically. And you will be true to Jacob and show mercy to Abraham as you pledged an oath to your fathers in days long ago. And that oath was that Abraham would be the father of nations. And, and you know, God promised Abraham that he's going to be the father of nations, and then he destroys the northern kingdom, and ten entire tribes disappear off the face of the earth. You know, of those twelve kids, the sons of uh, Jacob, only two of them actually have tribes in Israel right now uh, because of that lack of faith. But he's still the father of nations. He didn't, he didn't lay out which one of those kids were going to you know, uh, carry it all out. But also, it's not just physical nations. Abraham is the spiritual father of nations as well. Now let's think about this a minute. Abraham is the father of the Jewish faith, right? Can we accept that? Is Abraham the father of the Christian faith? I think he is. Because Christianity is just an extension of Judaism. It's Judaism realized. Okay, here's an idea that somebody's going to argue with me about. Is Abraham the father of the Islamic faith? They would say so. They would say so. Yes, they would say so. I think you can make the argument that he is the spiritual father of nations as well. Um, you, can, you can disagree with me as you see fit. Okay, I, I had one more point, and I forgot what it was. See, this always happens to me. My class just runs away in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Chickens, 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 chickens. I almost had somebody talking, and nothing happened. Okay. Uh, I, I forgot my final point. Oh, that's pretty sad. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? Uh, I think. Okay, that question was also asked of Christ. It's like, who, 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 for, do you, who are you to forgive sins? Uh, who is like you? Uh, I, I, I think there, there are all these little parallels in the wording 
in the, the minor prophets in general, but certainly in Micah, with things that had with, with, with things that wordings in the New Testament. Now we can make that argument that Peter had read Micah, which I think he has, uh, or maybe Micah is foreshadowing things that are going to end up in the Gospels, which I think is also likely. You know, so it. Yes, I think it is actually. It's uh, so I think I think there is certainly tied in, and I think understanding the the minor prophets is important to that end, so that we can kind of understand all of the implications of all those little references in the Gospels. Okay, that ends Micah, and uh, our class has voted, and we are halfway through. The minor prophets and we have chosen not to spend another year uh, getting through the second half of the minor prophets and we're going to put that off for a while so we will begin next week with Matthew you think you want to do the those gospels not start with John or we could start with Matthew but really, should we start with Matthew? Because Matthew is, is kind of derivative of Mark. Mark is shorter, and then Matthew read Mark and then wrote his to get his final say in. I think we should start with Mark, and then Matthew, and then Luke gets in there, Mr. Mr. Uh, uh, doctor with all the details. I, I, I kind of relate to Luke's approach to things. You know, he... He looks at a miracle, and everybody else is going, wow, that's a miracle, and he's counting stuff. You know, okay, there were 12 fish. You know, it, it, that's what Luke does for you. Anyway, uh, he was a type A personality. And then, and then John, which is a totally different kind of book than the first three. They're, they're all very different when you analyze them. But let's take it in chronological order, and I think Mark would probably be the best plan as I decide that on the fly. Okay, so next week, Mark 1, we're actually going to study Jesus. Okay, and I guess that ends this lesson, uh, and uh, I'm going to sign off now. Thank you.